0: My name is Madison Keith on Courtesy Staff. You're listening to week one of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker for week one was Curtis Zachary, and we had 4,705 students in attendance. Enjoy. I've been so thankful for how they have led us into times of worship together because the chance for all of us to be together in this place singing to the Lord at the same time is so amazing to listen. There's times where I'm singing along with you and then I stop and listen to the voices singing and it's so incredible knowing that we're all here together with the same hope, the same purpose to lift up the name of Jesus and investigate this mystery together. What does this all mean for our lives on earth? Right now, you know, I've been having so many great conversations with so many of you and in those conversations The thing that always will come to the surface at some point is the question that I think we all are Constantly having run through our minds every time we open the word together And that question, in some form or fashion, ends up something like this. I know that this is all very important. I know that these ideas are right. But what I'm trying to figure out is what does this really look like in my life every single day? This is the question that, quite frankly, many of us should be asking Because the beauty of the truth of the scriptures is that God has given them to us as a gift to show us the next right step in our lives, but also to show us the beautiful picture of what God intends for us as human beings here on earth. You know, we ask the question so often, what do I have to do to show God how much I love him. That's a lot of how we think when it comes to reading the Bible and wanting to live a life that is led out by goodness and Christianity. We're always asking, what do I have to do to show God? But one of the most important questions that we can ask and one of the most important questions that will help us to reveal some of the truth of this mystery of the gospel is this. What does God actually want for me while I'm here? That's what he wants us asking because God is so big and so amazing and so gracious that he knows that in this life there will be difficult times. In this life there will be hard situations. In this life, there will be ups, there will be downs. God knows this. It is not a surprise to him. So he wants us to be asking, always investigating, what is it that you want for me? And I thought as we are investigating this mystery, it would be really useful for us to open the word together and look for the words of Jesus as it goes with what he desires for our lives. There are some very direct words that Jesus gives us to show us what he hopes that we would experience while we're here on earth. And that's good news because it feels like everything is a mystery, but sometimes I think we have more clear answers than we could even hope. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and this group of people are wondering the exact same thing that we're wondering. What does it look like to live on earth connected to God? What should my life look like if God is a part of my story. And Jesus has come. He's been preaching these amazing messages. He's been healing people. He's been performing miracles. The rumors all around the cities and villages are that this Jesus just might be the Messiah. So they've crowded around and they're listening to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus knows... That at some point in this journey, he is going to have to return back to his father. So he wants the people to understand what life is going to look like when he is gone. What should it look like for us to be connected to the way of Jesus? Jesus in John chapter 15 begins to tell us very clearly. He says this in John 15 verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now that may sound a little bit confusing because it's like I abide in you, you abide in me. What does the word abide even mean, right? Like let's just start there. This word abide means to live, to stay. To remain. And what Jesus is telling these people who are listening, these people who are wondering, just like us, what does it look like for us to be connected to God? What should our lives really look like? He says this If you remain connected to me and I am connected to you, your life will make fruit. Your life will begin to display the beauty and the glory of God if you stay connected to me and I stay connected to you. Now Jesus always was working to help people to understand the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. He wanted to remove all the mystery and make sure that people understood what it meant to know him. And right here is the perfect example. He's saying if you want to live a life that is connected to me and you want to live a life that is fruitful, you need to remain connected. I just want you to take a a, a little bit of an imagination and and a thought with me about what it means to be connected. You know, Jesus uses this specific example right here. He says, kind of like a vine and its branches. He's talking about how there is a tree or a a bush that will create or make fruit. Now, I want you to imagine like an orange tree, right? And you got this orange tree. It's growing beautiful, delicious oranges on the end of it, right? Now, if you wanted an orange tree to make an orange... You could not walk up to an orange tree and tell that orange tree, "All right, man, I'm hungry. Go ahead and make me a piece of fruit," right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Like you couldn't walk up to an orange tree and say, "I need an orange," and then the orange tree's like, right? Like it's just not going to do that. It's not how it works. You don't walk up to an orange tree and tell an orange tree to make fruit. An orange tree will make fruit. When it is properly rooted in the ground. You know, a tree has roots for two main reasons. Reason number one, it's so that tree won't blow over when the wind and the storms and all the heaviness starts to come. That tree will remain strong. But then reason number two for those roots is so that the roots go down deep and the nutrients that feed the tree come up through the roots. And check this out. When a tree is properly rooted, it will make fruit all by itself. It doesn't have to be told to make fruit. A tree, when it gets what it needs connected to the source of life, will make fruit by itself. What Jesus was talking about right here to these people who were saying, what is it that you want for us? What should our lives look like? He says, if you connect to me, your life is going to make fruit. Just like a tree can't make fruit by itself, it only makes fruit when it's connected to the source of life. So it is true for us as well. Because imagine if a tree... Could just manufacture fruit right it just makes fruit you know what kind of fruit that would be it would be fake fruit right y'all ever see a piece of fake fruit before I remember when I was a kid I was little and I was at my grandma's house and my grandma had a bowl of fake fruit in the middle of her dining room table and I as a little kid thought that that fruit looked really good. And I, as a little kid, thought that that fruit was real. You see where this is going. So I, as a little kid, climbed up on a chair, climbed up on the table, saw this delicious red, shiny apple, took a bite, and there was nothing but air inside, right? It was nasty. It was plastic. It was fake fruit. (laughs) And I took a bite of this fake fruit. And as I took a bite down on it, and nothing came out of it, I realized something very clearly. Even though fruit looks real, that doesn't mean there's anything inside of it. Do you know that sometimes when we are connected to this whole story about God, and what it means to live for Jesus, sometimes we become so content Just to have fruit that looks like real fruit. But if anyone was to really taste our fruit and to see if there was anything behind it, they would realize that our fruit, even though it looks like real fruit, is actually just fake fruit. You see, God wants us to be making fruit in our lives, not just showing people that it looks like we got it all together, not just showing people that it looks like we're good Christian guys and girls, not just showing people with our outside action, but actually in our hearts, producing the fruit that only comes from connecting to him. He's saying, I am the source Of the life and what I want your life to look like is you making real fruit because it's only the real fruit that will last he goes on to say something else in John chapter 10 Jesus is talking to another group of people and this group of people were asking a similar type of question They want to know what it means to follow this way of Jesus. And Jesus is telling them about how he is a good shepherd. And his voice is the one that they need to listen to. And then he goes on to say something very clear. He says this in John 10, verse 10. The thief, or the enemy, comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they would have life and life abundantly you know what abundantly means overflowing dripping out on everything around the love that he desires to bring and to fill us the life that he desires to fill us with he wants it to be overflowing now this is what I love about this verse Jesus says that there is an enemy this enemy that he's talking about is Satan And what he's talking about is Satan or the enemy has come to do something very, very important for us to know about. You know why I know this is so important? Because he calls this enemy a very particular word. He says that the enemy is a thief. You know why that word is so important? God intends for us to live a life. That is full and connected to him. But the enemy wants to steal the idea that you can live a life connected to Jesus. The enemy's sole purpose is to distract us from believing that there is actual real and true and total hope connected to Jesus. The enemy wants us to believe that these things that we've been satisfying ourselves, these things that we've been using to make ourselves feel better, these lies that we tell ourselves about what it will take to satisfy our longings, the enemy wants to make us believe that that's the way to go. He wants to steal the opportunity for us to connect to real life to Jesus. Jesus comes and he clearly says the enemy is a stealer. He's a thief. I have come to give you life. Jesus wants us to live. The enemy is a liar and will whisper in your ear that life is no good. But Jesus wants us to live. You see, I, I know that this is. Maybe something that we don't talk enough about because I know most of my life reading the Bible has been completely and totally stuck on me spending all of my time trying to figure out the things that I'm not supposed to do. Now, there are a ton of things in the Bible that are instructive for me, that actually help me to figure out what I should do, what I shouldn't do. There are a lot of things in the Bible that help me to realize how I can avoid some dangerous situations. It tells me the things that will keep me from going down dangerous paths. But the thing that I see Jesus over and over and over is talking about, is he wants us to understand that there is life available to us, not just later on after we die, but right now on earth. You know why that's important? It's important because sometimes we can believe that knowing Jesus is only important for us to be able to go to heaven after we die. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to go to heaven after I die right that's a good thing as a matter of fact that's the beautiful eternal reality of what it means to know Jesus that salvation means that I will be with my father and Jesus in heaven forever that's good news but guess what He is not limiting knowing him just to later on after you die. Jesus actually wants you, yes, you, even at your age, not to just know him after you die, but right now on earth. Jesus is saying to us all throughout the scriptures that it matters for us to know him now. Not just for our salvation, but also so it will change the way we live on earth. In Matthew chapter 6, there's this prayer that so many of us probably know by heart. Jesus was in uh, another conversation. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever in the history of the world. Jesus is preaching a message, and he begins to talk about prayer. And when he talks about prayer, he starts to give instruction about the best way for the followers of the way of Jesus to pray. Now, you would probably think we should pay attention to this, right? Jesus is starting to give some knowledge on how should people pray. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, our Father, this is called the Lord's Prayer. Anybody ever heard the Lord's Prayer before? If you know the Lord's Prayer, say this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Now stop right there. What I want you to know is that's basically the best introduction to a prayer that anybody could ever pray. You know why? First of all, Jesus starts out telling human people that when they pray, they can pray our Father. Now I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying here, but this is pretty crazy. Jesus is telling us that when we pray, we can pray our Father. So, like Jesus is saying to us, His Father and our Father is the same. Y'all know who Jesus' daddy is? So Jesus is saying when we pray, that we pray, our Father, the same Father that Jesus has is our Father. So the power in the prayer that we pray is connected to the actual God of the universe. We share a Father with Jesus. That's good news. So he starts out the prayer by saying, when you pray, you can pray our Father. Then he says this, hallowed be thy name. Oh, no, first he says who is in heaven. So he says, you could pray our Father, and our Father is in heaven. That means that he's over everything. When you pray, you can know that the one you are praying to has all authority, all power, is over everything, can hear every prayer, our Father who's over everything. Then he says, hallowed be thy name. Do you know what that means? That means that your name has power in it alone. Just the name of God has power. And when he's saying that we can pray, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that is who we are praying to. That's the introduction to the prayer. Now this is what is so fascinating to me. This is what I think we need to pay attention to tonight. If we've been asking the question, all the things that we've been learning this week, what does it matter for my life on earth right now? What does God actually want for me to do? How does he want me to live? What does he desire for my life? The very first thing that Jesus tells us to ask for in the Lord's Prayer is this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? Where? on earth as it is in heaven everybody say on earth look at your neighbor and say on earth jesus says when you pray pray this prayer kingdom come your will be done on earth you know why this is so amazing jesus who is the God of the universe, could say in this moment that we're supposed to pray any way that he tells us to pray. But the way that he instructs people on earth to pray is not that when you pray, you say, help me to get out of here to go to heaven. No, he says pray that heaven comes down to earth right now. Do you know why Jesus is praying this? It says in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom was Jesus proclaiming the message to the world that he has come so that the world would know him, not later on, but right now. Jesus is calling us, the people of God, the people of the world, to hear and understand that his desire is for us to know him, not later on, but right now. He wants us to make fruit while we're alive. Jesus desires for us to know him now. See, what's so important about this is the beauty of what this represents for our lives. Because I know that some of us, even as we talk about the goodness of God and the rescue of Jesus, start thinking about the hard things that we have going on in our lives. The hard things like maybe going home to a situation that feels like it could explode at any time because anger and rage are a part of our story. Maybe some of us are thinking about the fact that back at home, the financial problems and realities of our lives are so heavy and it feels like we're not going to be able to crawl out from under it. Maybe some of us have relationships that are so stretched out and so challenged right now that it feels almost too much to think about going home back to those. Some of us think about the lives that we've made for ourselves back there and the reputations that we have. And we start thinking about, yeah, I hear you talking about the goodness of God and the rescue of Jesus, but what does that mean for all the drama I have for waiting for me back home? Some of us are thinking about these realities and we're thinking about what it means for us in the reality of real life to know Jesus and what he wants us to know and understand is that the way we will walk through this life with the power that he attends or intends for us is to connect to him for real. Not to make fruit, not to fake fruit, but to produce fruit because we know that the God who is real and the God who saves has saved our lives. See, there's a mystery when it comes to... To thinking about living in this life, knowing that we desire to glorify God, but understanding that there are real and true challenges that come with our day-to-day walk. And what God wants us to know and understand, it is only when we finally give ourselves to him and trust that he is the one who knows what we need, then We will find life. I think I told you guys this before. Maybe I didn't, but I'm married. I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Monique. We've been married 11 years. I have two kiddos. I have a son who is five and a son who is one. The one-year-old is Micah, and my five-year-old is Noah. And Noah is awesome. And Noah loves to ask questions. Noah loves to use his imagination. And Noah has this very special ability to find a particular toy and be completely and totally obsessed with that bad boy for a period of time, right? Some of y'all still got that going on. Even though you're grown up, it's all good. That will just keep rolling. So, Noah. My little man had this one time where a couple years back, he's five now. I think he was about three at the time. My mom came into town, and you know, grandma rolls in town. She starts buying silly stuff that we don't need, right? And she's getting a bunch of stuff from the dollar store and loading them up and whatever. So she buys him this bucket and shovel, you know, like the little bucket and shovel you take to the beach. The problem is we don't even have any dirt near our house, right? So she gets him a bucket and shovel, and of course, Noah starts digging on this bucket and shovel. He's just like obsessed with this thing, right? So he wants to use the bucket and shovel. The problem is we don't have any dirt, so he's out in the front of our house digging in nasty wet mulch, right? Like he's just out there digging, right, and he's just loving it, right? And so he gets this bucket and shovel, and he loves it. He uses it all the way to sundown. I bring him inside, and we get him ready for bath time. He's like, make sure you bring my bucket and shovel, right? And, you know, you ever been, remember as a kid, you get your favorite toy, and you're like, man, I just want to look at it, right? Like, right during bedtime, like he was falling asleep, and he just wanted it so where he could see it, right? Y'all know you guys did that too. (laughs) Come on. So Noah got his bucket and shovel, and it's sitting on the shelf, and he's going to sleep, and he just loves this bucket and shovel. Right before he goes to bed, I tell my son, hey, listen, tomorrow, me and you are going to go on a trip together. We're going to go on a little special adventure, a father-son adventure, and tomorrow we're going to have so much fun. And he says, all right, Dad, that sounds fun, but just know I want to dig with my bucket and shovel." And I say, okay, buddy, but, but before we do that, we're going to go on this adventure. And he's kind of like, yeah, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll sort that out tomorrow. He goes to sleep, right? Wakes up in the morning about... in the morning, as my little three-and-a-half-year-old at the time had the knack of doing, and he comes running in the room. He's got his bucket and shovel in his hand, and he's ready to go outside and dig. And I say, buddy, remember, I'm going to take you on a special daddy-son adventure. We're going out. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be so cool. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to dig with my bucket and shovel. (laughs) And I'm like, no, man, listen. I got something good for you right here. And he kind of just keeps putting me off, like, all right, whatever. So I get them all dressed, and it's about 6.30 at this point. We head downstairs, and if you make a left, you go out the front door to the nasty mulch pile, right? You go out to the right, and the car's in the back in the garage, and we're ready to just take off on this adventure. So, of course, we get down to the bottom of the stairs. I turn right. My man turns left. He's looking at me like, aren't we going to go dig with this bucket and shovel right now? And I say, buddy, listen, I'm telling you, I want to take you on this adventure, and that bucket and shovel's got nothing on what we're going to do. And I saw the switch, right? Like, he, he was looking at me, and then he kind of like, was like, oh, you aren't playing around. <laughs> I thought you were joking this whole time. So he starts kind of getting that little stern look on his face, and he says, but my bucket and shovel. And I said, but buddy, we're going to go. And then you know that look where it just is about to happen. The chin starts, like, working, right? (laughs) You know? And he just drops the bucket and shovel, and he starts walking toward the back door. And I'm like, man, I'm the worst father in the world. What is going on? So I take him out into the back, and I put him in the car seat, strap him in. We start backing out. And I know that I have a plan for my son. (laughs) We're about to go have a blast And all he can think about is the plan that he had for himself. (laughs) He just keeps thinking about this bucket and shovel. The chin is still working. I could see the watery eyes starting to go. We turn around the corner. I make a left. And as soon as we leave the neighborhood, he lets out with it. I just want my bucket and shovel, right? And now I feel awful. But I know that if we can just push through this, it's going to be good. So we keep driving and he's crying and I'm like, man, what is wrong? I feel like this is right, but I feel like this is bad. And I'm just driving and I, it's not very far. It's about five minutes away from our house. We pull up to the place. He's so overwhelmed with emotion that he's not paying attention to what's going on. I go back in the car seat, unbuckle him, pick him up and of course as a super drama king that he is, he's still sobbing and he's got his head in my, you know, neck right here and he's just not looking around and so As he's crying and kind of settling down, I say, buddy, it's gonna be okay. I promise you're gonna have a good time. And as we're walking around, I kind of make a couple of pit stops and then we go inside of the building and when we sit down in the building, I set my boy down and he sees that I have a bag in my hand and immediately the tears start to dry up and he starts to ask questions like, what's in the bag, dude, (laughs) right? So now we're out here, so I might as well make the best of this situation is probably what he's thinking. And he he takes a look over, and he sees this bag all balled up. And I say, buddy, listen. And I wiped his face, and I said, look, your dad loves you. And I know what you love. You just need to trust me. And I know what his mind is thinking, like, I'll trust you, but just show me what's in the bag before we go any further with his speech, right? And so I say, listen, I love you. Here. And I give him the bag. He opens the bag, and the bag is filled with donuts, all right? Some of y'all can relate to this, but my son is a donut fiend, right? So I open this bag of donuts, And he looks into the bag of donuts and he sees sprinkles and chocolate and everything and he looks me in the eye and he goes, are these (laughs) mine? And I said, yes, these are your donuts, buddy. And he said, how many can I have? And I said, eat until you're full, but don't tell your mom, right? And so the dude starts crushing these donuts, and he's eating them, and there's sprinkles in his hair and chocolate in his eyebrows, and now he starts to look around, and he sees that there are all these kids that are running and playing, and there's a lady that's making balloon animals, and they're getting face painted over there, and there's all these fun things in this building, and he's looking around like, man, you weren't playing. This place is cool, and he starts running around and playing tag with kids with chocolate hands, and I probably need to pay some. Cleaning bills somewhere around the because he's just tagging people and he's just having fun and he's laughing. And we stay there for about two hours, and at the end of the time, I pick him up and I put him in the car seat, and he looks me in the eye and he said, Dad, what you got for next Saturday? (laughs) This is a true story, and right in that moment, I start welling with tears because you know what I realized. I realize how often I'm so stuck on my own plan, my own desire, my own thought of what is going to satisfy me. I have my own thinking about what it will take for me to feel good, what it will take for me to get what I need. I think about my son and how my son was ready to dig in a dirty pile of wet mulch all day when he didn't realize that there was an absolute party waiting for him, connected if he just just listen to what his father wanted for him. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see that God's desire for us, even in the midst of hard times, is that we would be fully alive. He came so that we would live. Some of us have settled for this idea and this thought That if I do things in my own way, in my own strength, in my own understanding, if I just go the way that I want to go, that I know better than God, but God is trying to tell us that it's time for us to finally let go of the things that we think will satisfy us and begin to trust that the God who made us knows what we need better than anything we could ever imagine. Some of us are wrestling with this right now. Some of us have been wrestling with this this whole week. Because what we've been saying is, I believe that what you're saying sounds good. And I believe that what you're saying is probably right. But what I believe is that it's hard to understand how God could satisfy the longings of my soul. And what I want to tell you is what it says in Psalms that we should taste and see that the Lord is good, when we begin to connect to him and understand what it means to know him, it's in those moments when we finally say yes to him, when we finally say my life will not satisfy me, my idea of what is best is not best, I need to trust that God will show me what I need, and when we take a step of faith and we begin to move toward him, he begins to receive us and hold us, and he begins to lead us where we need to. To go. That's what He wants for our lives tonight. I want to pray for us right now. God, I'm overwhelmed that You would love us this much. God, I can't believe that you desire for us to know you on earth. Some of us who have been wondering if all there is to this whole Jesus mystery is just later on, later on. God, I thank you that you show us over and over and over and over again in your word that you desire to know us now. That you desire for us, God, to connect to you, the source of life. As your eyes are closed, if you would just stand with me, that would be so great. Some of us are just waiting for this moment and I'm so thankful for the chance together with you to give this moment to God. In Romans chapter 2 verse 4 it says that it's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's love, it's His grace. It's the reality that wherever we are on our journey, no matter what we've done, no matter what our life has looked like, the fact that God has plans for our lives and desires to make fruit in our hearts and help us to live in the midst of the hard and harsh realities of this life, it is so good to know that he sees us. He sees you. And I know that some of you have just been waiting for this chance in this moment to hear that God is a loving father. Some of us have a hard, hard time understanding what it means to know a loving father. But I want you to know that God will never leave us never let us down he will hold us up and he's waiting for you to say yes to him just like my son (laughs) trusting his father god is saying to us I just want you to finally trust me. Trust me that I know what is best for you, that I can take your life where you need to go. Some of you have been saying, I don't know if I want to let go of what I think is satisfying me. And God is saying, let go and trust that I am your Savior. I am the one who will rescue you. If that's you tonight, and you're saying it's time, I believe that God knows what I need. Now is your time. If for the first time you want to say, God, I trust you with all that I am. I believe you want me to live and live abundantly. I believe that you want me to know you on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that you want to take me where you want me to go. I want you to have all of me if that's you. Now is your time as we begin to sing. I just want you to come, allow someone to pray for you so that you might find rescue at the feet of Jesus. Thanks for listening.